Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. With that said, on with the show. Hey, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was April 23rd, 1985. The Coca-Cola Company introduced New Coke, a reformulated version of its world-famous soft drink, Coke. It was the first time in the company's nearly century-long history that the drink was reformulated. People did not like the taste, and the change became a whole debacle. In the early 1980s, Coca-Cola needed to do something to boost their sales. Coke's market share was declining. Pepsi was becoming the cola of choice in supermarkets and other types of sodas, like diet and citrus ones, were gaining popularity. Pepsi began an ad campaign called the Pepsi Challenge, where participants would choose Pepsi over Coke in blind taste tests. When Coca-Cola did their own internal taste tests, they also picked Pepsi over Coke. So executives decided that the key to increasing Coke sales was to change the soda's taste. The Coke formula had been through changes before. Notably, the drink once had cocaine in it. And it changed sweeteners from cane sugar to beet sugar to corn syrup. But the taste of the drink had always been the same. Fearful they were about to lose their hold on the market, Coke decided to introduce a new, sweeter formula for their flagship drink. Diet Coke, which Coca-Cola introduced in 1982, had become one of the most popular drinks in the United States. The company made the Diet Coke formula sweeter with high-fructose corn syrup, and after a lot of testing, it launched that reformulated version of Coke on April 23, 1985. The new drink's official name was just Coke, but the word new was added to the bottles and cans, and it became known as New Coke. The original formula was discontinued. Even though New Coke tasted better than the original formula to consumers in more than 200,000 taste tests, New Coke failed. People hoarded original Coke and sold it at exorbitant prices. In a dramatic show, New Coke was dumped into the sewers in Seattle. People formed protest groups, like the Society for the Preservation of the Real Thing and Old Cola Drinkers of America. Gay Mullins, founder of Old Cola Drinkers of America, called Coke un-American. By June, Coca-Cola was getting 1,500 calls each day on the consumer hotline, compared to 400 a day before the change. After all the complaints, Coca-Cola realized it needed to bring back the old formula. At a July 11th press conference, Coca-Cola executives announced the return of the original recipe. The Coca-Cola president and chief operating officer said, The simple fact is that all the time and money and skill poured into consumer research on the new Coca-Cola could not measure or reveal the deep and abiding emotional attachment to original Coca-Cola felt by so many people. Cans and bottles with the new formula were labeled Coca-Cola Classic. New Coke went with an ad campaign slogan of Catch the Wave, and Coca-Cola Classic had the slogan Red, White, and You. New Coke stayed on the market for years, and in 1992 was renamed Coke II. It wasn't discontinued until 2002. The word classic was dropped from Coke's name in 2009. After Coke went back to the original formula, 
There were rumors that the whole fiasco had been a clever marketing ploy all along. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place tomorrow. Hi everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that tears a page from the book of history every single day. The day was April 23, 1516. The Rheinheitsgebot, a Bavarian beer purity law, was adopted. There were previous regulations to control the quality and pricing of German beer, but the 1516 law is the most prominent version. Beer and brewing are integral parts of Bavarian history and culture. Throughout the Middle Ages and into the modern era, beer was a mainstay in the Bavarian diet. By the 16th century, Bavaria was home to many well-known beer cities, but hygiene was not great and the beer was often contaminated. Brewers sometimes increased prices and added unnecessary ingredients like wood shavings and hallucinogenic plants to beer. There had been efforts to place more regulations on beer in Bavaria. For instance, in 12th century Augsburg, a decree was passed saying that bad beer had to be destroyed or given to impoverished people at no cost. In 1363, the Munich City Council began to regulate brewing in the city to make sure it could be taxed and to monitor its quality. And in 1447, the Munich Purity Law ordered that brewers could only use barley, hops, and water in their beers. Though the reasoning behind the law is debatable, it's been suggested that if brewers were limited to barley, then bakers would have more access to wheat and rye. According to this theory, this would reduce competition for wheat and rye and keep bread cheap. In 1487, Duke Albrecht IV, the ruler of Bavaria Munich, made brewers in his duchy take a public oath to follow the 1447 purity law. And on April 23rd, 1516, the Dukes Wilhelm IV and Ludwig X issued the Rheinheitsgebot, though it wasn't dubbed the Rheinheitsgebot until the 20th century. Versions of the decree were often called substitution prohibition or surrogate prohibition instead. The Dukes issued the proclamation at a meeting of the Assembly of Estates in Ingolstadt. Translated into English, the decree said the following in part. In all cities, markets, and in the country, the only ingredients used for the brewing of beer must be barley, hops, and water. It went on to say that anyone who knowingly violated the decree would have the offending beer barrels confiscated. The decree also set forth stipulations around the price beer could be sold for. It did not put any restrictions on yeast because yeast was not identified yet. Under the regulation, beer brewed in the winter improved, but beer brewed in the summer was still low quality, thanks to warm temperatures and lack of artificial refrigeration. In 1553, Duke Albrecht V outlawed brewing in Bavaria from April 23rd to September 29th. The ban and the purity law inspired the transformation of brewing techniques in Bavaria. 
The Reinheitsgebot was updated over time to allow for other ingredients. The German Empire came into existence in 1871. Over the years, more places across Germany adopted the decree. By 1906, it was effective throughout all of Germany. But in 1987, the European Court of Justice ruled that banning the import of beers that don't adhere to the Reinheitsgebot was a barrier to the free movement of goods. So imported beer could be sold in Germany without following the regulation. German beer producers are still subject to legal production standards, but regulations have changed a lot since the 1516 purity law. Now many German brewers use their adherence to the Reinheitsgebot as a marketing tool. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can hit us up on social media. We're at T D I H C Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also send us a note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.